0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me in the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That'll be where we spend most of our time today as we begin this new message series throughout the month of January called Breaking Free. Today's message I'm calling, Why Not the Best? That's the title of a book written many years ago by former president Jimmy Carter He begins this book with an antidote uh, describing his time in the Navy. He said, I had applied for the nuclear submarine program, and Admiral Rickover was interviewing me for the job. It was the first time I met Admiral Rickover, and we sat in a large room by ourselves for more than two hours, and he let me choose any subjects I wished to discuss. So very carefully, I chose those about which I knew most At the time, current events, seamanship, music, literature, naval tactics, electronics, gunnery. And he began to ask me a series of questions of increasing difficulty. In each instance, he soon proved that I knew very little about the subject I had chosen. He always looked right into my eyes, and he never smiled. I was saturated with a cold sweat. Finally, Rickover asked his future commander-in-chief what his standing was in his Naval Academy graduating class. Carter answered proudly, 59th out of more than 800 cadets. But he encountered the admiral's implacable question. Did you do your best? Carter says, I started to say yes, sir, but I remembered who this was. And I recalled several times I could have learned more about our allies, our enemies, our weapons, our strategy, and so forth. I was just human. I finally gulped and said, no, sir. I didn't always do my best. He looked at me for a long time, and then he turned his chair around to end the interview. He asked one final question, which I've never been able to forget or to answer. He said, Why not? I sat there, President Carter says, for a while, shaken, and then I slowly left the room. That question, why not the best, shook a young Jimmy Carter. But that question should shake many of us, professing Christ followers, who've lived our lives... Settling for mediocrity, filled with the scars of sin, forfeiting God's best. And the tragedy is we fail to acknowledge that thanks to Jesus, there's no reason why this has to be the case. Thanks to Jesus, we can experience God's best. That's our truth, that's our reality. For the Christ follower, the battle for God's best takes place in the battlefield of the mind. That's why the scripture talks so much about the renewing of the mind. One of the most familiar passages is Romans chapter 12. Look at it in verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that question, which I've been asked more than any in more than 30 years of ministry, all throughout my life I've seen Christ's followers struggle. How do we know and do God's will? And the answer is here, we renew our mind. You come today and you think you're struggling with a specific addiction, a habitual sin habit. You think you are struggling just with emotional pain and anger or insecurity. The scripture teaches us that the battlefield for all of these is the mind. All temptation begins in the mind. Just think about that. You've not done something, even something very bad, that did not first start here. If you learn to manage the mind, you will learn to manage your life. That's what we've learned as we've journeyed through Romans. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says in verse 22, In my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. You remember that? He says, I know what I should do. I know what I want to do. I know what I could do. But it's like a battle, and the battle's taking place in the mind, and it's keeping me from this. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to deal on that battlefield. We're going to talk about some of those addictions and habitual sins that you feel like you're struggling with, those attitudes or those emotions that are controlling your life. And we're going to see what God's Word says about this. But today, we've got to set the stage. How does the battlefield for the mind take place? Well, first, you've got to understand our enemy. We only have one enemy, right? I tell you that often. You really only have one enemy. He's Satan. He's the father of lies. He's the one that has caused all kinds of havoc in this world. He's the deceiver. We lose on the battlefield of the mind when we begin to believe the lies of the enemy. So just think about this even before I lay them out to you. Are you believing the enemy's lies? Because for some of you, that's what's crippled you. You're believing the lies of the enemy like this. The lie that says you're just a bad parent. Or it's all your fault. Or you're ugly and nobody likes you. Or this one. Politicians can fix everything. (laughs) Or this one. You do you. Or your sexual feelings are actually the truth or your past really does define you you're a fake you you'll never be good enough And we could go on and on and on, lies that have impacted and affected your life because you've believed them and you've just lived that way. Kind of like when I was growing up and occasionally we would have the opportunity to go to the pool or in the small town I lived in to the lake. And my mom would always tell me wherever we were, even if we were at the beach, hey, you have to wait 30 minutes after you eat before you can swim If you're a parent and you've ever said that, I want you to be bold right now. Raise your hand if you're a parent and you told your child that. That's a lie. There's no truth to that. It's a myth. Think of all that time. Innocent little children have missed swimming because they bought the lie. Here's the deal. Every Christ follower must decide whether they're going to live according to the lies of the enemy or the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's your choice. You're either going to live according to the lies of the enemy or the truth of the gospel. So for a lot of years... Christian authors and teachers and preachers have written and and taught about this. And man, there's so many resources that that I look to. I I love listening to folks like Tony Evans or or, or Rick Warren or Dr. Eric Mason has been a a great speaker on this in my life. And even one of my buddies, a good friend of mine, Alan Brumbach and I were kind of diving into this subject and teaching our flocks together Um, There's an author named Dr. Chris Thurman, maybe you've read some of his books, The Lies We Believe. Or there's a new one by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. But it all comes back to this, the idea is the same, Christ followers have to recognize and resist the lies of the enemy. And yet we live in a society that is overwhelmed with lying everywhere you turn. Lies and disinformation. Maybe a great illustration of this is just go to your television and, and turn to the series of channels that portray the news and flip back and forth. And you'll find that different networks are saying totally different things. They can't both be right. Truth is, as I've investigated, i found usually they're both wrong. It's often not news, it's propaganda. Gary Kasparov said the point of modern propaganda isn't only to misinform or to push an agenda, it's to exhaust your critical thinking and to annihilate truth. If they can get you to believe their lie, then they can manipulate you. And the same is true in the spiritual world. If the father of lies, the enemy, if Satan can get you to believe the lie, then he can control and manipulate your life and and you forfeit the best. You forfeit abundance. You forfeit that which God has intended for you. Did you know that the 2022 word of the year, according to Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, is gaslighting? I don't even know that before preparing this, I, I could have defined gaslighting. But it was used all the time as the word for the year in 2022 is the act or practice of grossly misleading someone, especially for one's own advantage. You know who was the originator of gaslighting? It's the father of lies. That's what he does. He manipulates or exaggerates or presents a false truth for one purpose, for misleading you and for his advantage. One of my friends is a guy named Shane Pruitt. He's he's probably having as much impact on the coming generation as anyone today. I saw him tweet this recently. He said, our world is so in love with lies that the truth sounds like hate. That's where we are. So let's go back to the question. Why are so many Christ followers not experiencing God's best? Here it is, when Christ followers believe the lies of the enemy, we forfeit God's best and we develop strongholds in our lives that can only be demolished by the power of the gospel. Let me say that again because that's the main thing I want you to get today. When Christ followers, that means if you're here and you know, hey pastor, no matter what happens, if I were to die today, I would instantly be face-to-face with Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind I'm going to heaven. So if you're in that group, which is a pretty awesome group, your name's written in the book of life, I'm saying when Christ followers believe the lies of the enemy, we forfeit God's best, and we develop strongholds in our lives that can only be demolished through the power of the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul's addressing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now here's the context. This is a classic church struggle. Some of you have been in this church. Remember, Paul is writing his letter, just like all his letters, to a specific church. This is the church at the place that's called Corinth. We're going to visit there. If you go on a trip to me, the journey's of Paul, probably in August of this year, we're going to visit Corinth. Paul's writing a letter to them about something going on in the church. What's going on? They're split. It's a church split. And guess what they're split over? Paul. It's like a church that's split over the pastor. They don't like him. You know what they don't like at him? They don't like anything. They don't like what he teaches. We even know from history they don't like the way he looked. He didn't really look like one of them. Sound familiar? They don't like the music. We don't like the way you dress. We don't like the lights. And so Paul is now having to deal with, as he's the apostle, he's been sent out by God, kind of overseeing the ministries of these churches, and he's helping them understand. And he begins chapter 10 in a very quick and simple way, just speaking of his attitude. He doesn't defend himself very much, he does proclaim his attitude. And basically says, hey, just for the record, I'm, I'm striving for godliness. I, I'm really trying to be Christ-like. And and let me just tell you, because I'm confident we probably have some guests here today, and some of you are here, and just by the nature of humanity, there are probably things, even if you're a regular part of this church, that you say, I don't really like that about our church. Uh, Let me me just refresh you in something. While there are bad apples out there, there are false prophets, there are teachers and preachers that are, are not of God. That becomes very clear as you listen to them. For the most part, pastors that stand to present God's word They're not setting out just to make you angry. In fact, it doesn't make us happy when we find out you're upset. You don't like us. So Paul is saying, you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, I really am trying to pursue godliness. I'm seeking to be Christ-like. That's his attitude. But that's it. That's all he says. Then he puts things into perspective. He reminds them of the reality they're dealing with. And this is where it gets super practical for all of us. Because he says, you think you're dealing with something human. You think you're dealing with what you don't like about me. You think you're dealing with what you don't like about the way the church is going. But the reality is, you're in a spiritual battle. And I'm just telling you, guys, on this second Sunday of... 2023, this 54-year-old man who's been around church all his life, I'm just telling you, 99.9% of the time when there is church conflict, it's not about another person. It is a spiritual battle that's waging war in your mind. And so Paul says, let me tell you about the arsenal God gives you to fight that battle. And that's what we're going to deal with. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning verse 3, this is the word of God. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Say divine power. Divine. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Say demolish strongholds. strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought say those four words take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ so father once more in the name of jesus we ask you speak we're listening oh god holy spirit move in this place with my arms up outstretched to you i just ask that you would be praised jesus let your name be lifted high as we meet together Lord, with my hands open before you, I ask that you would just fill me. Let my words be your words. Let my thoughts be your thoughts. And Lord, with my arms outstretched, I just tell you, I surrender. I hide behind your word and behind the cross of Jesus Christ. So Lord, now do your business. Give us what we need we don't have. Teach us what we need to learn. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember the main thing, right? When Christ followers believe the lies of the enemy, we forfeit God's best and we develop strongholds in our life that can only be demolished by the power of the gospel. And in these verses, Paul gives us three truths about strongholds. That's what we're talking about this morning, strongholds. Number one, there's a reality every Christ follower must understand. Here it is. We are in a spiritual war. I want you to say that sentence with me. We are in a spiritual war. Do you recognize that? This is a battle. It's a spiritual war. That's not the first time we hear this in Scripture. In in Ephesians in chapter 6, in this battle passage where Paul talks about putting on the armor of God, it says in verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you are a Christ follower, you're waging war against one enemy. That's the good news. The bad news is he's fighting hard. He's in a global campaign. He has a strategy to take you and the rest of God's people down. And it's not new. It started in the garden. And then you might remember this interaction with Job in Job chapter 1 and verse Psalm. Now Job, many people believe, is the oldest book in the Bible. That's confusing to you because of where it lands chronologically in the Bible. But many people believe this was the first book written. Here's what it says, Job chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, where would you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. So Satan being cast out of the garden, being told there in that experience with Adam and Eve that his life was going to end, that he was going to be cast into hell, that his head would be crushed under what we know is ultimately the death, the bear, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. Satan's just roaming around seeking who he can mess with. And then if we kept reading, we would find out that he finds Job and he's intrigued because he says, Job is a righteous man. And let me just tell you something. If you feel like you're really battling with the enemy, that's not necessarily bad news. It probably means you're doing some things right. If he's not messing with you, hello. I mean, just think about that, just logically. So he says, Job is a righteous man, but I think I can get him off course. I think if I start taking stuff away from him, he'll reject you, God. And so God says, okay, do whatever you want. Just don't kill him. And then we know the story. He just begins to wreak havoc in Job's life. And even after everything, what does Job say? I know this, my Redeemer lives. Why? How could he say that in the midst of everything? Truth is, we have about 40 chapters where we see this taking place. But he's winning the battle of the mind. But it's not just the Old Testament. Did you know 1 Peter 5, 8 says this? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let me give you the Paul Purvis paraphrase of that verse. The devil is alive and well, and he's after you and your mama. (laughs) He does not like you. He wants to mess you up. He's seeking to steal your peace, to, to kill your joy, to destroy your life. So you have to understand where that battle begins. And as I mentioned, it takes place in the mind. Paul refers to this as arguments and pretense. But I like how the New Living Translation says this. It helps us understand it a little better. Listen to this. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So what are the strongholds? Human reasoning and false arguments. What's human reasoning? Human reasoning is whatever I've come up with to think I can resolve the situation. How I as a human have reasoned that I can get myself out of this. So just there, we can recognize, even though we're really not getting into this this week, you're struggling with some addictive behavior, you call it, or some habitual sins, and you're thinking, I'm going to do better next week. I promise I won't let this happen again. I'm going to come better. You're, You're just human reasoning. False arguments, what's that? That's the lies of the enemy. Things that aren't true. Craig Rochelle says this about the battlefield of the mind. Your mind is a battlefield, and the battle over your life is always won and lost in your mind. I love the great Adrian Rogers. He's in heaven now, but he once said, the devil would rather get get you to think wrong than to do wrong. If you do wrong, you might get right. But if you think wrong, you may not even know you need to get right. That's why that great motivator and leader, who's also in heaven, used to say, Zig Ziglar, he would say, you need to get rid of your stinking thinking. You need a checkup from the neck up. He understood that the way we think, our our mind makes so much difference. And so you have to decide whether or not you're going to fight this battle that's taking place from the enemy's lies in your mind. So how do you do this? How do you battle the enemy's lies? What do you think? How do you battle a lie? Somebody shouted out. How do you battle a lie? Truth. truth. So what is truth? Now well, that was Pilate's question to Jesus. What is truth? It's a reality or that which corresponds with reality. What's a lie? It's unreality or that which does not correspond with reality. And so here's the truth. There is nothing or no one that's bigger or stronger than our God. So some of us are letting the enemy, Satan, live rent-free in our minds and we're accepting his unrealistic falsehood, his lies. The only way to win the battle is to intentionally wage war. You'll never do this just thinking one day it'll get better. And as I'm going to share with you, I don't think... You'll do this even just praying, help it to get better one day, Lord. We don't do this in our own strength, but we do this through strength that God makes available to us through the power of the gospel. Some of you, in your faith journey, you're at the place where you think the gospel, that reality of the death, the bear and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is only about that which gets you to heaven. It's only about your salvation. But the Bible teaches that the power of the gospel is is what we need in daily life. In, In fact, this is what the Bible says. The same power that conquered the grave is available to you. Do you believe that, church? The same power that Jesus used to conquer death, is that available to you? Yes. I believe it is. So I want to pray the gospel over my marriage. Why? Because marriage is simply two sinful human people. Committed and covenanted to stay together for a lifetime. How in the world are you going to do that? Only through the power of the gospel. Amen. I, I want to pray the power of the gospel over my career. Why? Because in this world, I'm going to get caught up in self and build my platform and, and focus on pride. So, the only way I'm going to conquer that is through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can say that in every aspect of your life, it's the power of the gospel. So here's the good news. Just like we have to understand the reality that we're at war, this passage teaches us that there are resources every Christ follower has. We have divine power. Say that phrase, we have divine power. So look again at these verses, verse 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient Christ. If you're a Christ follower, the Bible says that you have divine power, and with that divine power, you can demolish strongholds, you can take thoughts captive, and you can experience God's best. So we had better understand what a stronghold is. You know what a stronghold is? Eric Mason says a stronghold is a mindset, a value system, or a thought process that hinders your growth. Kind of like that. A mindset, a value system, or a thought process that hinders your growth. So something in your mind that is just causing a hiccup. It's keeping you from experiencing what God wants you to do. Another person calls this a, a stubborn disposition. Some of you, <laughs> man, you love Jesus. You're faithful to your church, but you got a stubborn disposition you got a stronghold over something silly. It is, it, I might could rephrase that, a, a cranky mindset. And so everybody around you, when, when you come up, they go, why are they so negative? Why are they always telling me something negative? Because you got a stubborn disposition. It's a stronghold in your life. I love this definition that I've adopted from something I read years ago from Beth Moore as she wrote that study primarily for ladies called Breaking Free. But, but this is what I came up with. A stronghold is anything in our life that consumes our mental and emotional energy pretending to be greater. Remember, Satan is a deceiver. He's the father of what? He's the great pretender. So it's not true, but he pretends to be greater than the presence, the power, and the purposes of God. Thus, it robs us of the fulfillment available to every follower of Christ. So we listen to the lies of the enemy, and we buy into what Satan is pretending to tell us, and as a result, we miss out on God's power, we miss out on his purpose, and we miss out on the fullness of his presence. But specifically, why did Paul use that word stronghold? In that day in particular, a a stronghold would have referred to a fortress, a, a tower that was a protected place, high. So when we go on the journeys of Paul, we will stop in Corinth, and there you will see in a mount, right outside of Corinth, this ancient stronghold, this castle structure built into the rock and you can look at that and begin to think, wow, how, how in the world could somebody tear that down? But, but maybe my better example of that, my favorite, is in Normandy, France. And ironically, we're also taking a mission trip to London and to France in March. I'd love for you to go with me on that. But we'll go to Normandy, and when you stand over the beaches of Normandy... You stand on the cliffs where the Allied forces and our American forces came in at D-Day. You can stand in the old German bunkers. And when you're standing in those bunkers, you're thinking, wow, no wonder they were so confident. They had the stronghold. They had the high place. It would take a miracle for someone to beat them. It also just makes you so grateful for the sacrifice where thousands of men died that day. As they were climbing those hills. As they were tearing down the strongholds. Stronghold is a high place. In the Old Testament, I just read through the scriptures. I'm reading through it again. It's interesting when you start hearing about the kings. You can even hear of good kings. And you know what the Bible says about these good kings? They loved the Lord, but they didn't get rid of the high places. So there are some of you here that are not followers of Christ. That's just facts. I don't know you. I'm not pointing fingers at you. But confident, some of you are not followers of Christ. But a church is where primarily followers of Christ gather. So let me speak to Christ followers for a second. Some of you are not dealing with the high places in your life. There are strongholds that have come in and and you've just grown okay with it. In fact, in some of these sinful attitudes and actions, you've got, it's like your pet. You nourish it. You feed it. See, somebody said a stronghold is not just something that's holding on to you. A stronghold is something that you're holding on to. So what about that? A lot of people have that trouble. For us today, a stronghold is a fortress in our mind and our hearts that the enemy uses to attack us. It's the thoughts and the plans and the attentions that lead to sin and disbelief. It's the ideas that keep God at a distance in our lives. It's the mental strongholds that are raised against the knowledge of God. I want you to understand something today. The best I can encounter scripture, a stronghold is anything in your life that takes a higher place than Jesus Christ. So just go through the list. Maybe there are some addictive behaviors and sinful habits. Maybe there's some emotions that you just said, I've always been this way. For a lot of you, it's unforgiveness, and we're going to deal with that in a couple weeks. For some, you're driven and you're held on by this stronghold of insecurity you don't know who your identity is I, I see that a lot among pastors even because all our identity just becomes being a pastor and so what happens one day you're not the pastor anymore and I've heard one of my good friends say this recently I, I, I don't I don't know who I am after this it's a stronghold But the reality, what we've said is, there's nothing in your life, no addiction, no hurt, no emotion, no mentality that's greater than the presence and the power and the purpose of God. So these strongholds, we've got to call them what they are. They're lies that we believe, and they serve as a a base for the enemy to build his camp and come into our life and attack us. So today, you've got to determine, I'm not going to believe the enemy. I'm going to tear down the strongholds. So how do we do that? Well, we've said Christ followers have the divine power that's necessary to knock down strongholds. How do we utilize that power? Well, it takes resolve. That's the third thing I want you to see. There's a resolve every Christ follower must maintain. We demolish strongholds. We take thoughts captive. And we experience God's best thanks to the power of the gospel. In just a moment, I want you to keep looking at that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you whether or not you're committed to that resolve. So I want us to say those phrases together. We're not a name it and claim it kind of church. But there are some things in scripture, when God makes it clear, you're supposed to name it. And you're supposed to say, God, I'm gonna keep my end of this, you keep your end of this. So look at it again on the screen. Who are we? What do we do? What is our resolve? Is every Christ followers? Is it up there? Is every Christ follower? We demolish strongholds, we take thoughts captive, and we experience God's best thanks to the power of the gospel. We're going to say those phrases right now. We demolish strongholds. Say it again. We demolish strongholds. Number two, we take thoughts captive. We take thoughts captive. Number three, and we experience God's best thanks to the power of the gospel. What's Paul saying? He's saying, get out there on the battlefield, wage war, and take prisoners. Do you understand that? You're not going to win this game of life by thinking you can just show up at church one hour or two hours a week and you can say a prayer at mealtime and you can read some little devotional book. You've got to understand this is war and you've got to wage war and you've got to take prisoners. Listen again to this passage from the message. This is a paraphrase of Scripture. Matter of fact, A couple of you already napping, so the rest of you just close your eyes and take this in. i got a good view from up here. Hey, the world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they're for demolishing that entirely massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of the life shaped by Christ. You know what that's saying? You can open your eyes. You know what that's saying? There's a battle for your brain. And until you acknowledge that, you're forfeiting God's best. You'll not experience the abundant life. You'll not walk in peace and joy and all that God has intended for you. But God's given you the divine power to win the battle. So, how do you do that? You knock down strongholds, you take those lying thoughts captive. Rick Warren has been a practical teacher of Scripture for many, many years. I was listening to him on this subject, and and part of what he said, I I just want to give back to you, just three phrases, really, from him. But I I think it summarizes how we demolish these strongholds, how we take these thoughts captive. First of all, he says, you feed the mind. Say, feed the mind. So a lot of you made New Year's resolution. Uh, Only 17% of you are still keeping up with those this far into the month of January. That's because that doesn't work. That's just behavior modification. Um, But some of you have said, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. Because if I want health in my body, I recognize those are things that have to happen. I have to control what comes into my body. And I have to control the energy that I exert out of my body. That's a big part of the prescription to health. Well, it makes sense that if we want our mind to be spiritually healthy, we have to feed it with the right things. So what do we feed our mind with? What do we feed our mind with, the battlefield? What do you think, church? It's the Word of God. So I'm reading through the Scriptures. As I told you, the McShane plan, again this year, uh, this week I was in Matthew 4, and in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted. There's a battle for his brain. Isn't it great? You're told that there's nothing you face that he hasn't already faced. So there's a battle from the enemy, same enemy, for his brain. And here's what he says in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The word of God is our sword. It's our strength. It's our shield. We fight the enemy of the mind with Scripture. But the reality is you can't quote what you don't know. You can't apply that which you have not gotten into your life. That's why scripture says study to show yourself approved. That's why scripture says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, make a decision early in this year to get into the word of God. Find something that captivates you, that encourages you, that motivates you to stay in the word of God. Feed the mind. But there's a second thing we feed the mind, but we must also free the mind. Say, free the mind. This is where you just need to get rid of the junk. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot next week. But there's a verse in Scripture, 1 John 1, 9. Here's what it says. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And that's where a lot of you stop. Aren't you grateful for God's forgiveness? Just give him a hand clap, clap of praise for his forgiveness. I'm so thankful. Man, whenever I think of who God is, one of the first things always comes to my mind as I think about his forgiveness is Grace. But that's not the end of the verse. It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And what? Cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Can you believe that? God tells you that when you look to him, when you get rid of the junk, he will give you the cleansing that you need. More about that next week. Let me give you the third thing. We feed the mind, we free the mind, and then we focus the mind. Say, focus the mind. I want you to understand something. When God has us tear down something, the strongholds in our life, when we need to get rid of it, he always replaces it with something better. And that's a struggle some of you are having. Remember I said it's a pet sin, something you're holding on to, you really don't want to get rid of it? I like the way I feel when I do this. I like the way I feel when I take this. I like the way I feel when I'm around that person. And we make that fatal mistake of determining our actions based on our feelings rather than our beliefs. When we focus the mind, what we're saying is, God, I understand that anything I get rid of that I don't need, the junk in my life, you're going to replace it with something better. You're going to replace it with the best. Do you understand that? That's who he is. This morning... So I think it's important that you know that as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, that I spend time in the Word apart from how I'm studying to to share with you. So this morning early, I was going through that McShane plan, and then I spent time in the Psalms, and then times in the Proverbs, and then I opened Oswald Chambers and read my utmost for his highest. And today, I love when God is fresh and speaks to us about what we're talking about today in Oswald Chambers. It says God never tells us to give up things just for the sake of giving them up, but he tells us to give them up for the sake of only one thing worth having, namely life with himself, Jesus the Christ. Tony Evans says Satan and his demons are like cockroaches when the light comes on. They scatter because Satan can't handle the truth. Like that great movie says, you can't handle the truth. He can handle you and your ideas. But when you come at these strongholds with Scripture from the perspective of what God says, you'll experience a change in your thinking that will result in a change in your life. So I preached from this passage a number of years ago and I I gave you this proclamation, this personalization of these verses from Chuck Swindoll. I want to do that again. Here it is. This is what I want you to leave with this resolve for though I walk in the flesh I am NOT waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of my warfare are not my own flesh but I have divine power to destroy strongholds I destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against my knowledge of God and I take every thought captive to obey Christ That's the resolve, Christ follower, that you can have. When you understand the reality that we are waging war, when you utilize those resources of divine power, you can have the resolve to demolish strongholds, to take thoughts captive, and to experience God's best. So I've just got one question for you. Why not the best? Oh, why would you go on settling for mediocrity and the same old, same old when you could experience God's best. What happens when you choose to have this resolve? Get this, it's where we started. Your mind is renewed. And what happens when your mind is renewed? You move from tension to tranquility. You move from chaos to confidence. You move from stress to strength. You move from pressure to peace. So, why not the best? If you're a Christ follower, you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. The hard work, the heavy lifting, the battle's already been fought. We won says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the hood I grew up in. You don't know the battles I'm facing. You don't know the abuse that's been done to me. I do not know that, but I do know this. Colossians two fifteen says, and he, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When you face Satan's evil schemes and his wicked lies, you tell him to go right back to hell where he'll ultimately spend eternity. So you've got to decide. There's a great illustration of this earlier this week. We were playing a game in our house, but Monday night football was on. We, we weren't watching the game, but one of my sons looked over and said, There's an ambulance on the field. I've never seen that. So we stopped the game and we all went and stood in front of the TV and we realized what was happening with DeMar Hamlin. And you know what happened. He died on the field and was resuscitated. Later we found out he died again in the ambulance and was resuscitated. And people around the world began to pray for this football player who stopped breathing with this freak accident injury on the football field and, and later in the week we begin to hear that he was awake and, and that he took a note and, and wrote a note to the doctor look at this, this is what he said doctor said that after DeMar Hamlin awakened last night he asked in writing who won the game doctors told him yes you won you've won the game of life now here's the deal Some of you are spending your time and you're spinning your wheels just focusing on the battles, the skirmishes you're facing. And the reality is you are already a champion. If you are a Christ follower, your your eternity is secure. There's nothing that can take that away. You start demolishing those strongholds. You start taking those thoughts captive. You start experiencing God's best. And that'll be for your good and his glory. Bow your heads with me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Now, again, I've said this a couple of times. Most of us here profess to be Christ followers. So most of this message was to you, Christ follower. And the assumption is there's some work that needs to be done. I'm just telling you, I'm the pastor of these sheep. There's work to be done. Some of your lives are being ruled by strongholds, whether it's fear or anxiety or food or alcohol or drugs or porn, whether it's unforgiveness, anger, insecurity, your identity, who you really are, all of these things. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? What are you going to do about it? So here's what I'm going to ask you. Even right now, pastors are beginning to stand at the front of this room. They're ready just to pray with you. You Say, why do I need prayer? Well, you don't have to come to a pastor. We have a high priest. You can go straight to the high priest. His name is Jesus. But sometimes there's something about driving down a stake. So whether you just want to come and kneel and pray and say, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to lay this at the feet of Jesus. I've been battling this too long. I've been fighting the same old battle way too long. Christ follower, I'm going to come and ask you to just give it up today. To take those thoughts captive. Some of you are praying to God and asking Him to do what He told you to do. You're saying, Lord, change my thoughts. He didn't tell you to ask Him to change your thoughts. He said, take the thoughts captive. So you need to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. But Christ followers, some of you may benefit from some confession. Not like you're confessing to a priest for forgiveness. But the Bible says in the book of James that there's power, there's healing that takes place when we confess our sins one to another. I don't know your need, but when I say amen and we begin to sing Christ followers, I want you to lead the way in public response to this time of commitment. But some of you are here. I don't know who you are, but I know you're here. Just statistically, you're here. And also, I prayed that you would be here. You've never begun a relationship with Christ, and you know it. So in other words, you know that if your life ended a day, you would not see Jesus face to face. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You just know you've never surrendered control of your life. So what do you need to do? You need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You need to acknowledge that you need him. You're a sinner. You need to tell him, I believe that you died for my sins. And you need to say, from this day forward, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. From this day forward, I'm going to stop doing it my way. The Bible calls that repentance. I'm going to follow after you. So you don't have to have me to take that step. But sometimes you just need somebody somebody to guide you. So this is not a magic prayer, but if this expresses your heart, maybe you'd pray these words. You're in that category I just described. I invite you to pray this to God right now. Dear Jesus, just you and him. Dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. If I died today, I would die without you. I don't want that. I believe you died for me. And you offer me forgiveness. So I I receive your forgiveness, Lord. And from this moment on, I'm following you. Not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. Change me, Lord. Now tell them thank you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I just want to take one last simple step. If you just prayed that prayer with me, you feel like you just began that relationship with Christ, I just want you to look up at me. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you just make eye contact with me? If you did that, that's the most important thing you could ever do that means you're part of God's family. So welcome to God's family. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do next. I told you these pastors are here. I just you to come and take the hand of one of these pastors or my hand when I get down there and just say, I prayed that prayer. What's next? You're not joining the church today. You can't. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to testify to what's just happened. The Bible says this, if you profess Jesus before men, he'll profess you before the Father. If you deny him before men, he'll deny you before the Father. So I'm asking you to take that first step of profession. If you just prayed that prayer or one like it in your own words when I say amen and we begin to sing, I want you to take that first step and come and tell somebody. Now would you just stand with me quietly? Everybody across this room just stand. Father, in Jesus name, we declare that you're the one who takes away pain. You're the one who breaks every chain. You're the one that gives us hope when we feel hopeless. You're the one that meets our needs when we feel needy. And Lord, when we are lost, you're the only one who can save us. So Lord, now as we sing and as we respond to your truth, may we do so as prompted by the Holy Spirit of God. And may we do so for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin to sing. You step out right now. Christ follower, new Christian, you come. If you got pain, he's a pain.